Support for KVLU is made possible in part by Visit Port Arthur, welcoming visitors from around the world to experience the Cajun capital of Texas. With plenty of Gulf seafood and the natural wonders of Sea Rim State Park and Sabine Lake, enjoy paddling, fishing, sailing, and world-class birding amidst two migratory flyways. More info at visitportarthurtx.com. From KVLU Public Radio in Beaumont, Texas, this is Bayou Lands, the companion podcast where we're sharing some of our favorite conversations with a wide range of guests that we've interviewed for the KVLU radio docuseries, Exploring the People and Places of Southeast Texas. This is Shannon Harris. For this episode, we're sharing my conversation with Andy and Joyce Green from Season 5 of Bayou Lands in 2021. We hope you enjoy. This is Shannon Harris. For our next story, I traveled to the home of Andy and Joyce Green overlooking Galveston Bay. It was the ideal place to speak with them about their life together, which Joyce recently documented in a new book, Ride the Wind, The Andy Green Story, Sailor, Engineer, Entrepreneur. As the title promises, the book chronicles the many pursuits of Andy Green, who is most well-known in the field of engineering, developing composite technology, and innovating the design of structures including aeronautics, automobiles, and sailboats. But Ride the Wind is really the story of a couple who has ridden the highs and lows of the sea of life with equal amounts of perseverance and passion. Joyce, thank you so much for speaking with me for Bayou Lands. My pleasure. First off, what was your inspiration for writing the book? Well, when I started to write the book, I wanted to do this for our grandchildren so that they would truly know us. And it evolved from there. We will have been married 67 years this month. He's an engineer. He's a sailor. And he had a love for boats. That's one of the things that uh, drew us together. Although I liked adventure, excitement. So it could have been mountain climbing. It could have been anything for me as long as it was exciting and adventurous. Well, I think you made the right choice. (laughs) I think he's delivered on that point. Absolutely. Born in New Mexico in 1931, Andy moved to Port Arthur, Texas with his family when he was three years old. And it was there that he would ultimately discover the two loves of his life, boats and a girl named Joyce. I was a newspaper delivery. I had a newspaper route, and I also delivered telegram. But I would go out there, and I would see these boats. And I always wanted one. I wanted to be able to go out in in, in the uh, lake in, in one of those boats. And uh, so finally, I had enough money to buy one. It cost me a hundred dollars, and uh, belonged to a couple of guys in Port Arthur who were going to get out of it. And so I bought the boat and. Uh, the nice part, I was also in the Navy Reserve at that time, and I went to, went to the Bahamas, and when I got back, Mom and Dad had painted the boat. <laughs> so that was a treat. I never knew that. I didn't know that. <laughs> anyway, they had painted the boat. Where there's music. 
we met in church. My dad was a Pentecostal preacher, and I was going to the first Pentecostal church in Port Arthur, where I was born, grew up, and we had a big young people's group, and we were together, it seems like, every night. We'd play volleyball every night, and we had a great young people's leader. Anyway, Andy was kind of mysterious. He was the one going to college, you know, and I just uh, thought he was very kind of mysterious. The rest of the kids were, you know, we all talked together, and I knew all of them really good, but Andy was different, I guess I'll say. And um, we did all sorts of things together. We would go seining on the beach, and Andy was one of the few that had a car. So everybody would cram into one of the two or three cars that we had, you know, to go to our young people's leader's house or wherever we were going. And that's how we got acquainted. And I took Joyce out when I first courted her, and she did a bad thing. She turned the boat over. <laughs> At the dock. At the dock. I don't know if you want to record this. This was our third date. That's when he took me on this little snipe sailboat, the heavy one. And I didn't have a bathing suit. I had on heavy jeans and kind of a heavy shirt. And he decided we'd go swimming. So I go with my jeans, you know, with everything. And he didn't have an anchor, so the boat was just drifting. Well, after a while, I got tired, and I looked around for the boat, and it looked like it was a million miles away. I knew I could not make it. And Andy, really, poor fellow, he didn't know what to do. He swam and tried to pull the boat to me and tried to pull me to the boat. I thought I was going to drown. I'd already just decided that's what was going to happen. Anyway, he did rescue me and pulled me back up on the boat like a sack of potatoes. By the time we got in, it was not a slip. It was a bulkhead, More. concrete bulkhead. And this is Sabine Lake. Yes. Anyway, I was holding on to the mast and leaning, and the boat leaned over. I didn't know anything about sailboats. So I said, I wonder how far over this boat will go. Well, turns out it would turn all the way, or at least halfway over. So the water was about waist deep, and Andy was stalking around rescuing his paddles and his buckets and he was mad as he could be. I'm surprised he ever asked me on another date. <laughs> in nineteen fifty four, Andy graduated with a degree in civil engineering from Lamar University, which was then called Lamar Tech. He had gone to General Dynamics in Fort Worth. They offered a course to get your master's degree from SMU and he wanted to do that they paid for it so that was one of the reasons he wanted to go to work for General Dynamics and um, I had not finished high school yet so I didn't go up there to be with him until the next June wow <laughs> yes. amazing that, that was, was a very young time. bride yeah yeah department chair kind of took me under his arm he found our first home. He got me my first and second jobs and really got me started in life. And his name was, was Bill Scholler. And uh, it was through his 
inspiration that I did a lot of the things that I did. I graduated on Friday and we went to Fort Worth Saturday. And uh, that was a big new adventure for me also. And of course, Andy loved boats. We, he had a little snipe when we married and it was old and it was heavy. And we put it in the garage and sanded and sanded on it, but it was not gonna win any races. Anyway, uh, he found the Flying Dutchman. Read about it in a magazine. So of course he called the guy. It had a trapeze. It's one of the Olympic classes. Very exciting boat. He called the guy and the guy said, well, there's a group in Houston that has some. So he gave Andy a name, Claude Cullinane. And Andy called and they asked him to go down. He left one Saturday morning. He came back the next day, Sunday, pulling, not Claude's boat, but Fred Struben, he was another Dutchman guy, pulling his brand-new Flying Dutchman on its trailer. Now, they didn't know Andy from Adam. He could have been stealing the boat. They could have never seen it again. So, needless to say, all of that group became our lifelong friends. Anyway, he starts building one from us. That's the reason he took the boat, so he could build one. He could have destroyed the boat, too, getting a mold off of it. Anyway, that went on for over a year. I began to resent the boat <laughs> because he was building and building on it. Anyway, he built one, and then uh, one of the guys in Houston wanted one. Another one in Houston wanted one. And then the Chicago Yacht Club wanted five. We were in the boat business. We didn't realize it at the time, but that was, that's the way it began. We did this at our house. And I guess I better say at this point, I was a different kind of wife. I didn't want to be with the ladies in the sewing circle or anything else. I wanted to be with Andy all the time, everywhere he went. So that was it. I loved it. My motto, I guess you would say, is dive in and think about the consequences later. I loved excitement. And the Flying Dutchman suited me to a T. We got out there and we learned how to sail the Dutchman by same way we'd learned about the business, willing to try whatever it took. We didn't really know anything about business or what, what was involved in it, but fortunately, I met some people that, that, that really got us started. Um, I met this fellow, his name was Hap Sharp, and he was a partner with a guy named Jim Hall. They were oil men in Midland, Texas. and. Uh, I took him for a tour in the aircraft plant. I took him from the front of the plant to the back of the plant where the, where the airplanes rolled out. So I showed him exactly how we built an airplane. Well, I guess I didn't realize it, but at the time, I guess he was impressed that I knew so much about, about how you put an airplane together. But then about six months later, he came back and he uh, asked me a few questions and he took me to an automobile race. He was racing one of the cars there, and he won. And so he put me, he put me in the car with him at the end of it, and I held the victory flag as we went around the course. I thought that was the end of the story. And then the next week, he came back to town and introduced me to the president of the biggest bank in Fort Worth. And we had, we hadn't started our business then, so and, and I didn't know anything about borrowing money. So. <laughs> They loaned me $30,000 to start the business. And uh, 
we were learning all the time. We didn't know anything about how to run a business, what to do. And, but we had fun uh, doing it, and we got started, and we did things that were uh, different. The things that we did, products that were lighter and stronger, and that's what you had to do if you were going to make anything that had performance. And uh, when I got my first job at General Dynamics, I was in the structures group, and they give, um, when you come into a group, you always get the little dirty jobs that uh, nobody else wants because you're new and... and they gave me fiberglass and epoxy resins to work with. And the slang for them there was paint and bed sheets. So here I was with supposedly a non-structural material. I didn't like that, but I went to the library and learned all I could in the library. And I came back and told my boss what I found. He said, well, he says, um, he said, that's good. We need to have somebody who knows something about composites. And so he said, uh, I'll tell you what you do. He says, you visit every composite manufacturer in, the, in this country, and then you should come back. You'll be the uh, chief of this new group. And the reason composites are good is because here you have a material, which is the fiberglass, which was four times stronger than the strongest steel that you use. The strongest steel is 250,000 PSI. Fiberglass is a million PSI. And so you have an opportunity to make good, lightweight structures. And so that became my expertise at the company that ran all composite structure components of the airplane. And, uh, of course, from that, I uh, learned enough to be able to start our own company. And we started by, we built a few panels for um, uh, structures for buildings. And then uh, from there, we went to boats because we liked, we liked boats and we wanted to have boats that would be fast. Of course, if you have the lightest boat, you're going to have the fastest boat. And so we made the lightest boats. From there, of course, that's how we got into the car business. Jim Hall and Hap Sharp, they wanted to race cars. The first thing they said is, we want you to design the car. I says, I'm not an automotive engineer. I can't design a car. And they says, that's what we want. Somebody with, with no preconceived ideas. You design the car the way you want it. And from there, that's where the Chaparral car evolved. And, uh, of course, it dominated the decade of the 60s. So I was always able to, fortunately, have an opportunity to participate in something when somebody wanted something special. At that time, a couple of um, atomic bomb experiments in the Pacific, and then they were concerned that all the fallout from this would come in this country. And... Uh, how would they know where the fallout went? So there's a company in Austin, Texas. They said that they would they would find out. They would survey it, but they and they had to, but they had to have a, a tower that would go up 200 feet in the air so they would get all the fallout from the from the bombs. So they came to me and to build them a telescoping tower. And this telescoping tower would be able to be pulled by a pickup truck. And in 20 minutes, they could be another 20 miles away and take more shots. So I built them a telescoping tower out of composites to determine what kind of fallout we were getting from the uh, atomic uh, tests in the Pacific. And that was a, a very interesting project. Andy's love of sailing and his drive to build everything, in his words, stiffer, stronger, and more rugged than the competition, led the Greens to a decades-long pursuit of building and racing Olympic and ocean sailboats. 
that's another kind of interesting program. I didn't know anything about, about boat racing, and um, I wanted to get out on the ocean. And we hadn't. We only raced and sailed on the lakes in, in Fort Worth, Texas. And so I wanted to go and do some of the offshore racing. I just heard about it, read about it. And uh, so we moved the boat down to the coast, and I went to the skipper's meeting, and uh, the name of our boat was Shazam. And uh, somebody said, what kind of a boat is that? Because nobody ever seen Shazam before. And, and I said, well, that's just a fast, fast sailboat. And uh, I don't think anybody believed that we would ever do anything with this boat, Shazam. Somebody says, well, he said, I think Green puts uh, the crew in drawers in the boat. <laughs> he pulls them out when he needs them, kind of making fun of me. But um, pretty soon we started racing and we began dominating the, uh, the ocean racing also. It wasn't altogether just that we had a faster and better boat. It's that we were serious and dedicated to it. When I took on a crew, the crew knew what they had to do. They, I mean, they were going to sail, and there was nothing else. There wasn't going to be any foolishness. And uh, we didn't have a special cook on the boat or anything like that. We did everything that it took to make a boat fast. And uh, our objective, everybody wanted was just to win. Winning was all of what it's all about. And we did. Anytime there was an ocean race, our boat was the boat to beat. If you beat our boat, then you could win. But if you don't beat us, well, you don't win. Their successes on the ocean were many, with nearly as many interesting characters, not the least of which was Ted Turner. Turner came over to visit me, and he wanted to buy a boat. And um, so we talked a little bit, and he just wanted me to sail with him. And uh, he was one of the participants for the uh, Olympics. And um, so he bought a boat, and then we, we commenced sailing together, Ted and I did. And, uh, and Ted was a top sailor in the country. Ted and I had a lot of fun. <laughs> We're always having arguments about how to live. We traveled together, and so it would be the three of us, and Joyce and Ted would argue about certain things. and. Um, Ted enjoyed it, and I think Joyce felt gratified with it, too. <laughs> we were all friends. And another thing that was interesting about Ted, anything we do, if Joyce would run laps at our home, he would go, too. He said, if you can do it, I can do it. And then when he would travel with me, he traveled the way I did, and we never had a lot of dough, so we would get cheapy places to stay. But Ted, all he would say is, you mustn't ever say where we stayed to anybody because he was in the advertising business, and those guys live in big, expensive places and things like that. And another thing he would say, when I, you know, we had to move the boats to wherever we were going to race them, and so they had to be driven there. He would fly to Fort Worth, and he'd say, I'm riding shotgun. And uh, that's the kind of guy Ted was. For several years, Andy and Ted were partners, and then we merged our company into his company. And I got to say this about Ted. He is an excellent, really good businessman. When he'd be riding shotgun for Andy, he would be studying his reports and his statements from his company. He knew everything that was going on. And uh, Andy learned a lot. He put Andy on the board. So we really learned about business from Ted Turner. When did you first know that you had a talent for building, creating? You know what? I really... I really, really never thought about it because what I would do is I'd sell something I wanted to do and then I would do it. And uh, 
So not thinking that I had a special talent for it. It's just that uh, I would make things happen whenever I wanted to do something. I would just uh, apply myself. The first thing I always tell people, first thing you have to do is you have to have the want to. And when I talk to kids right now, I tell them you have to have the want to. Kids think they have the want to to do something, but when the price comes of what it's going to take to do it, they don't make it through there. So if you have the want to, you do the next thing. Keep on keeping on. So that's my motto is, first of all, you have the want to, then you keep on keeping on, and you can accomplish anything you want to. If you use common sense about it, you're going to make it happen. Andy, you just celebrated your 90th birthday. You know, we all need to know your secrets to longevity, and both you and Joyce are freaks of nature. <laughs> well, I, no, I listen, I do. Uh, we do. I, I have a lot. You know, when I, I exercise six days a week, and the way I exercise is I row. And I row for about 50 to 55 minutes a day, depending on the wind. And what I do is I, I'll show you here in a little bit with the boat that I take out, leave just when the dawn is breaking. It's fun. I mean, I mean, it's, it's not a chore for me to go out there and jump in the boat and row away. I mean, I get a pleasure out of it now. And just feeling the oars and, and looking and seeing the boat moving through the water uh, gives me satisfaction to know that you know, everything is efficient and you're, you're being productive and doing good. So it's fun to do that. But you see here, I uh, keep it on this float here, and then tie it, push it out, and row those oars, or carbon fiber oars. And uh, the, of course the boat is a is carbon fiber and glass fiber too. So, and the boat weighs 90 pounds. It's 20 feet long. It weighs 90 pounds. So it's in the, and then. Uh, that's the first boat I built right there. It's a wooden boat. Let's go over here and have a better look at it. See, these are one-inch planks from here to here to make this boat. And it's um, 20 feet long. And I, I built this one in, in uh, Honduras. It looks like it's seen a lot of action. Yeah, it has. <laughs> we row it a little bit right now. Yeah. Joyce rows also, and uh, she'll row that boat, and I'll row this one. So. This is carbon fiber here. You see, that gives it lots of strength. If it blows out here, you want a boat that's going to be very stable. It's a good, fun rowing boat. Thank you both for speaking with me for Bayou Lands and having us as your guest today. Well, thank you for inviting us. We enjoyed it very much. Although long retired from engineering and competitive sailing, Andy continues to pursue educational projects through the Green Foundation, including an academic chair in Lamar University's College of Engineering. If you'd like to learn more, an exhibit on the life of Andy Green featuring objects as well as audio visuals is on view in the Notable People Gallery at the Museum of the Gulf Coast in Port Arthur. And Joyce's book, Ride the Wind, published by Fulton Books, is available in the museum's gift shop.
Thanks to our guests for this episode, Andy and Joyce Green. Bayou Lands is produced in the studios of 91.3 KVLU Public Radio in Beaumont, Texas, by Shannon Harris and Jason M. Miller. You can hear the radio broadcast every fourth Sunday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time on 91.3 FM and online at kvlu.org. Thanks to the H.H. and Edna Houseman Charitable Trust for making this program possible since 2016. Additional support is provided by the Jefferson County Tourism Commission. If you enjoy the conversation shared in Bayou Lands, please remember to subscribe and share wherever you find your podcasts. And join us on social media at 91.3 KVLU Public Radio on Facebook and Bayou Lands on Instagram. Thanks for listening.